Isaiah chapter 55. Let's pray first for a few minutes. Father, we just thank you right now. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the manifestation of the life of God, not only upon us, but in us. Lord, you're doing something powerful. Lord, the witness of who you are and what you possess is what we possess because we are the firstborn of what you set before us, Lord, and to walk in that same life and that same spirit of sonship as sons and daughters of an amazing king. We ask you, Lord, to open the word. Open our minds to hear. Right now, we just break every shackle, every stronghold, any limitation off our minds right now. We thank you, Father, that we are not stuck and held in the routine of traditions of our past, but, Lord, you're coming this morning to resurrect and raise the dead. Oh, God, you're coming, Lord, to raise dreams and raise prophetic unction and raise our vision, Lord, and raise us to a new level of influence in life that we've never seen before. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. I remember years ago when I was uh, in, it was the summertime about this season in the Northwest. I was a, back in my high school days, I played football and we had a coach by the name of Ed Vinette, and one of the things Ed did, he did something. We were starting what we called was daily doubles, and it's where we learn certain drills. Our coaches get us out on the field, and they begin to get us into shape, and we begin to run certain drills, and we begin to run our plays, and we were just glad to get our pads and our jerseys and get our football gear, and we wanted to hit the field, and we were ready to play football. We wanted to get into the game. How many of you believe God wants us to get into the game? There's two kinds of Christians. There's those who watch the game, and there's those who are in the game. Say it with me. Watch the game and in the game. How many of you know God wants us to get us out of the bleachers? He wants to get us out of the locker room, actually. He wants to get us in the game. Everyone say, in the game. I'm in the game. But he did something. Ed Vinette, Coach Ed Vinette, ironically, my, this coach was the same coach, ironically, that coached my dad when he was in Hood River High School. Some 22 years before, he was the same coach. He was my dad's track coach, but he was my football coach. Now, he was a much older guy, but one thing he did that blew me away, and I'll never forget, he got us into a cafeteria. We were all right. The guys, you know, we were just a bunch of young bucks and a bunch of hog hounds, and we wanted to play football and make touchdowns and get girlfriends. I mean, that's what our mind was all about at that time. But this coach got us into a cafeteria, and he sat us down. We had no jerseys. We had no pads. We had nothing. But he started to talk to us about what was between that, that gray matter between our two ears. He started talking about how we think. And he began to talk to us about something that was beyond football because a lot of us knew that we needed to learn plays, we needed to get in shape, but he began to talk to us about getting healthy. Everyone say healthy. And he started talking to us about thinking healthy thoughts. He began to talk to us about what it is to really be a winner rather than just being a showboater 
out there doing our own thing, what it really means. And he began to talk about three areas about winning and, and about what it is to, to really be uh, an individual that has the right kind of a frame of mind. And he says, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to have the right kind of identity as a football player because when you're on the field, you're going to be facing opponents. And those opponents are there to make mincemeat out of you. And if you do not have the mind, frame of mind to be a winner and to think like a winner and learn how to face opposition without it becoming a distraction and a setback, you will lose every time. He said, you've got to understand that winning is not about just putting points on the board. Winning is when your back is against the wall, your opponents are bigger than you are, but you still have the right frame of mind, the right health in mind, that you know that when you go out there, you are going to make a difference. And he began to take, take a talk to us about thinking about what it is to beat a defeated mindset. I mean, I remember that little chat he had with us. Because a lot of people can get on the field and they're... De- How many of you know it's possible to get on the field and be defeated before you even start? You're already defeated before you get... You can get into a marriage. You're already defeated. Well, I think we're going to last five years. I pray to God that when I have kids, I pray to God they'll go to college. What a defeated mindset. You see, a winner says, my kids will excel... They will excel exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. See, so your thinking has to be healthy. Everyone say healthy. And so in order for me to be healthy, I've got to be feeding my brain and feeding on my faith. I've got to start feeding my faith. So he began to begin to reconstruct. And a part of the renewing of the mind is to renovate. It means to transplant. I've got to pull rotten thinking out and I've got to pull right thinking in. And so there was a lot of attitudes. Everyone say attitudes. How many of you know your attitude determines your altitude? An old saying that used to your attitude determines everything. Your mind, what you're feeding on. Recently, my wife and I, we watch less and less television because television just puts hell in you. We got to start feeding on the Word of God. We got to start praying together. We, we have to do that. It's not because we're pastors. It's because we're living in a culture that is an anti-Christ culture. It's an anti-God culture. How many of you can wake up and smell the, co- smell the coffee here on the, what's going on around us? And so we had to, we begin to talk about learning to embrace the battle. He talked to us about when you're facing opponents. <clears throat> You don't see those things as opposition, as people that are going to beat you down, because you know you can win. You know you were created, and you can know that you have the right kind of plays and thoughts as long as you're under the authority of the coaches that are coaching you. You're running your plays. And here's another one called teamwork. Everyone say teamwork. Nobody wins by themselves. You can't beat addictions by yourself. You cannot stand against the powers of darkness by yourself. If you're walking alone, you're already losing. 
That's why we need the body of Christ. You're a pastor, you just don't understand. I just can't share those things because I have such shame on my life. That is a lie. That is a stronghold from the enemy. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to help you recognize that I need my brothers and my sisters in the body of Christ because I cannot and I will not win by myself. The Bible says we know in part and we speak or prophesy in part because there are other parts of the body that add to what I am supposed to add with and when I begin to add to what's already with me I become victorious but when you walk alone when you fight alone when you try to win alone you will lose alone and when you lose alone you are losing but it's amazing what happens with a lot of people in the body of Christ today we have become comfortable with losing We have become comfortable. Well, we lost our marriage. We lost our kids. We lost the fight. We lost the battle. We lost the sin. We've lost the problem. We've lost my victory in addiction. I just might as well surrender and give up to this addiction or this problem. It's just my life. It's the way I was raised. And we begin to justify. Man, look at those balloons up there. I'm sitting there preaching. I'm looking at those balloons that went up there from VBS. Hey, that'll fit into my message. Guess what? When you lose control, you lose your balloons. Amen. Things just start to fly up. And that's what happens. A lot of us, when we begin to lose our sense of control, we begin to lose our sense of understanding and who we are, and then we begin to accept the fact, I'm a loser, I have no contribution, I cannot do anything, therefore I'm just kind of a bench-warming Christian watching others do all the work. And guess what? The people that are doing all the work are going to wear out because you're not in the battle. It takes a team. Everyone say it takes a team. God never intended for you to be a solo rider, a solo horseman. He never called Superman. He didn't call you to be Batman where you fight the enemy by yourself. He called you to be part of a team that involves team playing. You may say, well, I just don't feel comfortable. Well, that's what the power of the Holy Ghost is all about. Because the baptism, everyone say baptism. That's what baptism means. It means to be immersed. When you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, something has to die. Something means I've been immersed in something so that I can be raised in the newness of life. Jesus cannot use people that are in control because they're trying to gain their living. Actually, let me tell you the thing, the the root of the control problem is the spirit of fear. Fear feeds control, and when you have to be in control, it's based on a a myriad of lies that you believe that if I'm not in control, I'm afraid of what could or would happen. One of the things that the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to get you into a place where you release control to him. Now, what we find here in Isaiah chapter 55 as I'm moving along, by the way, is my clock up there going, David? Okay, it's not working. Praise God. Amen. Maybe that's the will of God. Amen. (laughs) Notice what it says, 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways. My ways says, nor your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher, everyone say higher. I'm going to get higher. As the heavens are higher. How many of you believe the purpose of the baptism is to take us higher? 
to a greater level. I'm going to go higher. My ways, my thoughts are higher as the heavens are higher than the earth. And my ways higher than your ways, sir. My thoughts higher than, for as the rain comes down. In order for the rain, he's speaking about the power of his presence. Do you know what the most important, significant thing in our church is? What is the most important thing that we have, or component, or element in the church? It's his presence. It's not the program. It's not the preaching. It is his presence. With all the things that we have, and thank God for programs, and thank God for teaching, thank God for the class, and thank God for the things that we use as tools to reach the gospel, to bring the gospel to people. But without his presence, there's nothing there. If I don't spend time in prayer, You can just begin to prophesy and you can just preach psychology. But without the anointing, it does not bring the river of his presence. It is the presence of the Lord that makes it. I need his presence in my marriage. I need his presence in my life. I need his presence. Because the presence of the Lord, how many of you know that Hebrews chapter, uh, verse 10, verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. It's a symbol of many symbols. He's not, by the way, God is not a fire. He's not a wind and he's not a dove. Those are symbols to help us understand the likeness of what he is like. But first and foremost, in the Old and in the New Testament, it says our God is a consuming fire. Everyone say fire. I need fire. What does the fire do? What is fire? Fire just doesn't make you warm. The fire makes you hot. When you're hot, there's a sense of discernment. There's a sense of distinction. Because when you're on fire, there's a sense of holiness. There's a sense of consecration that rests upon you. And you begin to recognize, I cannot touch what is sin. I recognize sin. You recognize evil and good. You recognize what is holy and what is clean. When you're on fire, you will not accept the things that Satan dishes out to you. You recognize this thing as something that Satan will try to defile and defeat and then bring the church into complete weakness where it has no effectiveness at all because it begins to accept this nasty word called mixture how many of you know that god does not allow he doesn't want mixture he wants holiness the fire is about consecration fire is about purifying when you put something in the fire it purifies everyone say purify god wants to purify his people this morning the lord spoke to me this morning at five i was in i was just waking up he says ray i know you got a word but you're not going to preach the word you're going to preach the baptism of the holy spirit you're going to talk about my presence being upon them because there are many people in this church have been asking lord send us your presence send us your power send us lord messages give us dreams give us words give us understanding the holy spirit said tell them that if they hunger and they thirst and if they really want it if you really want it I will visit this church, but I will only visit it when you recognize this place, this place, and not only this place, but your house and your life and your body. Listen to me. Listen to me on this. It's holy ground. Everyone say holy ground. 
Holy ground is consecrated. What is holy ground? Holy ground has to do with where God dwells, where he lives. Holy ground is my life. It's what I'm standing on. It's what I'm walking on. God wasn't about removing Moses' sandals because God would just wanted to see if he could go barefoot in the wilderness. No, God was testing him. Listen to me. God will test you in the most ridiculous things in your life to see if you'll be obedient to the most simplest, ridiculous things as moving your sandals. In the most ridiculous place, the wilderness. By the way, you never go shoeless in a desert. There's scorpions, there's spiders, there's snakes, and God says, take your sandals off your feet, for the place you stand are holy ground. How many of you know if you want holy fire, there must be holiness in our life? Just this past week, my wife and I dealt with a couple. They do not attend this church, but they attend one of the mega churches in the area. And this particular couple we just found out has been living a sinful lifestyle but they attend a church they've been living together as unbelievers and my wife and i had a chance to talk to this indivi- these individuals and we said do you want the presence of god do you want the favor of god we have the favor of god i said you do not have god's favor while you live in sin The Bible says in Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Revelations 21, Romans chapter 2, I could go on and on and on, where it says those that are fornicators, adulterers, covetousness, uh, 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 those that are given to sexual immorality, shall not, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pastor, I just don't receive that gospel. That's not a good gospel. No, it's a healthy gospel. It's a very good gospel. And all of a sudden, the woman become convicted. We heard the very next day, they called us up, and guess what they did the very next day? They went to the justice of the peace and got married. Not kidding. Do you know that right now, 50%, based on the Barnabas, 50% of young people today going to church believe it's okay to sleep and live together before you're married. It's not acceptable with God. Oh, pastor, I, that's legalistic preaching. I don't receive that in Jesus' name. No, it's not legalism. It's God. If we teach the love of God without the fear of God, we begin to inbreed mixture in our life. I'm all for the grace message. I'm all for the love message because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. People need to have an image of their heavenly father. He's good. He's gracious. But he's also a God who recognizes certain laws to keep us healthy. How many of you know thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal is still a good law? Why does everybody want to come to America? Now, they may not want to come to America all, all the time, but why is there this flood? And I'm not trying to get into a political argument here, but what's the big deal about coming to America? Why does everybody want to come through our borders? What do you think that's all about? And you all know, because they want the American dream. Why do they want the American dream? Because many of the countries that they're coming from have governments that rip their people off. I personally know we went with a couple by the name of 
uh, Charlie and Carmen McReynolds several years ago and her mother, uh, Carmen's parents in Cuba with Fidel Castro in, in charge, literally paid for their house three times over and the government said, you still need to make another round or another cycle of payments. How many of you know that's called corruption? The authority. You see, why do people want to come? Because here's the reason. Why does our land have freedom? How come we celebrate freedom and the American dream? Because the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Founding Fathers, by the way, there is an underground movement today that is seeking to destroy the Constitution and the Bill of Rights right now. And I know a lot of people are hearing and watching too much TV, but let me tell you what the Bill of Rights and the Constitution was based on. It was based on this book. The founding fathers knew that man by himself, when he's a law to himself without a higher law, will destroy himself. We need the laws of God. We need to recognize even the best of the best of people, even in their best behavior, their best attribute, can still become defiled because authority will destroy and corrupt you if there are no boundaries, if there's no accountability, if there's no communication. So our founding fathers recognized, in God we trust. In God we trust. But for some reason, we left those, we're leaving right now. There's a departure from the word of God. There's a, Paul said in the book of Timothy, he said, in the last days, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing doctrines of demons. What is a seducing doctrine of a demon? It is the doctrine of rebellion. It is a doctrine of opposition that rejects and questions and challenges the very word of God. Do you know what? I want to just say this. I love the, the gospel of grace and the gospel of love. But my gospel, the gospel of love, I'm, I've been married to my wife for over 40 years. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great marriage, I believe. But let me tell you the thing about love. When you're truly in love, you want boundaries. When you're truly in love, love values boundaries because you want to protect what you determine is precious. If it's not precious, then you don't regard boundaries. And when you don't regard boundaries, guess what? You just do what you want. And when you do what you want, you go where you want, you're accountable to nobody. What you're really saying to your spouse is, you're not valuable to me, therefore I have no boundaries. And I'm not accountable to you. I don't need to be accountable to you. I can do what I want. How many of you believe that's an equation for being dangerous. But when you love God, that's why Jesus said to the Pharisee once, he said, what's the greatest commandment? The question asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God because when you love the Lord your God, you truly love him with all your heart. Guess what? That means everything you have is his. You belong to him. And when you belong to him, guess what? He owns it all. He has it all. You fully, completely complied and you're submitted to his will. Why did the word, the prophetic word over Jesus at the waters of baptism come to Jesus? And this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why did Jesus receive that word over him? John chapter 8 says, he says, the things I do, I do to please my father. 
I do not seek my will, but the will of him that sent me. And so because of that, it says the heavens, the heavens, how many of you want, the very name on our church, the Holy Spirit told me this a couple of years of fasting prayer, said, I want you to name this church Open Heavens because I want this church to begin to live up to what it means to have an open heavens. It means heaven is no longer, there's, it means that there's no longer bronze or brass or judgment over your life, but a favor from God because my people are living in a way that is truly worshiping him. Let me tell you, worship here is not just dancing before the Lord and singing, shouting. That's all part of collective corporate praise as we worship God. We're celebrating the person we love. But worship is what happens when we leave this place. When we're out on 635 and somebody jumps in front of you. It's when that barking dog next door starts barking too loud. It's when your boss promotes someone else over you that you should have been promoted into. See, worship is when you begin to walk in the spirit of life and love and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where you begin to see and think differently than where you're at. Jump with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is really, really what I call the beginning of the New Testament. Luke chapter 1 is the first encounter. This is the first encounter where the prophetic voice after 300 silent years, this is the first time that an angel comes from heaven, Gabriel comes, and he stands before the priest, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest who was to minister before the Lord, then he would go behind this veil, then he would open the veil, and he'd come out, and then he would pray over the people, and then he would preach and give a short exhortation. And they did this on a weekly basis. It was Zechariah's turn to come, and the Bible says a couple things. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but it says Zechariah was a man who was a righteous man, and the Bible says here about Zechariah that they were righteous, walking in the commandments, And the ordinance of the Lord, but verse 7 says, but they had no children. His wife's name was Elizabeth. And she was known by everyone as the barren woman. If you read through the chapter, is when she comes before Mary. And the angel says that she is known for being barren. Folks, this morning I want you to know, if you're in a barren place in your life, I want you to hear what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit wants to open your womb. God wants to begin to open wombs. He wants to begin to give birth to something that is supernatural. But I'm going to share what that means because here, as Zechariah is receiving this word, not only to Zechariah does an angel come, Gabriel comes, but a few months later, Zechariah receives this word, and then the angel comes to Mary. And both accounts, now listen to me, listen to me. On both accounts, when it says that the angel appeared to Zechariah and then to Mary, it says both of them were troubled. When God begins to speak to you, guess guess what? It may trouble you. It may bother you. How many of you still want an encounter with God? Now see, hindsight is 20-20. Because I want you to understand something. When God shows up, God will begin to break centuries of traditions. He will begin to break some stereotypes. He will begin to break down some thoughts and some things that you thought were okay to live with. You thought, well, my wife is barren. I'm an old guy. I'm an old geezer here. And there's no way 
we're going to see any, anything good come. It's easy to just accept that place of defeat. But all of a sudden, the angel comes and he begins to prophesy over Zechariah. And it says here in verse 13, when he appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar and he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. Everyone say, my prayer is heard. Now, there's something about revival we need to understand. Revival doesn't always come at the right time. And when it comes, it's going to make you troubled. One of the best ways you know you're in the right church is you're troubled, and you're going to say, this is not the right time. It might be the right place. Sometimes, do you know what we do? Let me tell you something we do. We, we do this subconsciously. We actually look for people in churches and pastors and leaders that actually agree with us. Because what we're really doing is trying to find a place that doesn't rock my boat. Don't rock my theology. I'm comfortable with my theology. Do you know what? I think we need to be people who are living on the edge where God is able to do something that begins to break some boundaries and break some traditions and break us out of our particular stereotypes we've come to accept. Because that's where they were. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here we find is coming through this angel, and he begins to say, Your prayers are heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Notice what it says. You will call his name John. God's going to give a name to it. God's going to give a name to what he's going to do for you in your life. But here's the thing. God's saying, I'm going to call it by the name I wanted to call it. We've got to allow that because God's going to begin to give us a name, John. And you will have joy. Everyone say, I'm going to get some joy out of this. Joy. Joy is coming. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, this historically is just for Zechariah. Yeah, we know the story. He has a son. His name is John the Baptist. No, it's not just for John. It's not just for Mary. It's what the Holy Spirit in the New Testament was beginning to do by embarking on people who had become so religious in tradition and just accepted the norm. And God is saying, it's time for a change. Time for a change. Time to do three things. God's going to lift your expectations. Everyone say expectations. I want everybody to put your hands on your belly. I want everybody to say this. I'm pregnant. Oh, God forbid. I'm pregnant. Have you noticed God's dealing with this prophetic word had to do with two women that were barren? Not Mary wasn't barren, but Elizabeth was. God wanted to birth something supernaturally. Jesus said it this way to the one with the well. He says, when you're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, out of your bellies, it's going to flow rivers. God's going to burst something that out of you is going to flow rivers. You're going to be not just filled, but you're going to be filled and overflowing with joy and overflowing with expectation, overflowing with a sense of vision and destiny instead of just prophesying, you know, it's 108 degrees outside. My air conditioning is not working. I just don't know what God's doing up there. He's just giving us a little heat probably, probably because he's trying to let us know that hell's hot. Maybe that's it. Maybe try to let us know, burn a little bit up there and let us know that hell's really bad. God gets saved. That's not what we, we need to Let me tell you, when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you begin to look at your day differently. 
Here, Gabriel is coming and saying, you're going to have joy, you're going to have gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and drink neither wine nor strong. Here's consecration. Everyone say consecration. I'm not, he's not, it's not about he's against wine, but he's saying, I'm not going to put anything in my body that's going to dull my senses, because I'm going to be led by the Spirit. Has nothing to do with, the, shall we drink wine or booze or beer or not? No, it has nothing to do with that. I want to be in the spirit where my spirit is so sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. I do not want to have dull senses. But here he said he's not going to drink wine. He's not going to infiltrate his body with a bunch of drugs because he knows he's consecrated. He's set apart and he doesn't want to lose the anointing. Does that matter to you? Let me tell you right now, folks, that's what matters to me. That's what matters to me. And so John here is receiving this word. And I will have many will rejoice and he will be great in this. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. And he will turn many to the ch- uh, of the children of Israel to the, the Lord their God. He will go before him and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready. Everyone say make ready. What's our call? My call is to make something ready. I'm getting people ready. Let me ask you this morning. What are you doing to help people get ready? What's your place? Well, pastor, I, I just don't have a ministry, and I'm a shy guy, and I'm just not really worthy. Yes, you're worthy. The blood of Jesus makes you worthy. And it's time to stop listening to the lie. It's time to start believing in supernatural activity. Yeah, but pastor, I just don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't think it. I don't know. I've been married this way for years, and I just, I don't see the joy. I don't have nothing. God, God knows my name. He knows my address, but he ain't doing nothing. You know where I live, God. How many of you know that sometimes we just need to shake ourselves, lose our glasses once in a while? Thank you. Wait a minute, what am I thinking? I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of resurrection life. God spoke to me to speak to the dead. I'm speaking to this body, I'm speaking to this life. You may be speaking one week, you might speak, be speaking a month, you might be speaking a year, you might be speaking 10 years. Keep speaking to the dead. Wow, pastor, you're getting excited. Whoa, this is not loving and mercy, and I, I need a spiritual massage. I need a place that's just kind of massage me to sleep for Jesus. No, God wants to raise the dead. I'm not saying you're dead. I'm just saying that there are three things I'm going to close with here, but notice what it says. And Zechariah said this to the angels. How shall I know? In other words, I need to be in control. Do you know what? When you need to know, what you're really saying is, I need to be in control of this. To know, I need to know how this is going to happen. 
I want you to write three things, and I'm done. Three things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will encounter a divine interruption. How many of you are ready for God to interrupt your life? Interrupt your spirit of barrenness, to interrupt your religious duty. He wants to, everyone say, interrupt. When the Lord began to interrupt, it troubled him. Interrupt. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come at your timing. He comes on his timing. He interrupts. Well, God, I just, there's things I'm going to do. First, I'm going to play. I got some things that I I feel, you know, before I really give myself to God, there's some things that I really want to give my, I just want to kind of throw myself into sin and really enjoy sin. Then I'll come back and serve God later. I've heard that one. God will come to interrupt because he's a consuming fire. The second thing, listen to me, this is, this, is, this is a challenge. The Holy Spirit will offend the mind. God's promises sometimes, how, how many here have ever had God speak to you, maybe prophetically or through someone, and they come and they begin to say, you know what, God's called you to be a mighty man, mighty woman of God, and you say, oh yeah, <laughs> Pastor Ray, I don't know who you're talking to. You're not talking to me. I, I'm just kind of a loser. I'm just a barren barren barn here, just a barren barn that's just kind of waiting for the rapture. God help us. We are not waiting for the rapture. We've already been raptured in the Holy Spirit. We have an open heavens. Do you know what the torn veil in the temple was for? It was rent from top to bottom. It was because it wasn't so we could access his presence. It was so our Heavenly Father could come down and access the earth and invade every part of the earth. It's not about us going into heavenly places. We're already seated in heaven. But it's about heaven invading earth. Thy will become, thy, be, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth. Your earth. When you're offended, when things begin to offend you, it's because the Holy Spirit is beginning to help you understand how to do miracles. There's never one who's ever been in healing ministry, miracle, healing miracles, that have never confronted or had to battle battles or catastrophe or issues where they were so overwhelming, where God gave them that sense of peace and understanding that he was with them. I need to come to get to a place where I recognize that battles were not intended to stop me or hold me or kill me or destroy me. They were intended for me to slay. They were intended to be to bring down Goliath. I may be small in the sight of people and the opinions of others, but I'm here and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore, and I don't allow these things to offend me. Let me tell you something. God will not give you a battle that you cannot handle. But guess what? You'll never climb any higher. Until you're ready to say, Lord, I'm ready to tackle Goliath. I got a fresh, healthy mindset. The last thing is this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, powerful here, is intended to elevate you. Everyone say elevate. Remember what Isaiah 55, for as the heavens are high above, 
Soar my ways and my thoughts higher. God wants to elevate. God wants us to begin to think higher. God wants us to begin to think of us being people that perpetuate resurrection life into people. Three areas of influence here. Number one, life. I'm gonna, God's going to elevate your life. Let me tell you something. God will even allow you to walk through poverty to bring the best out of poverty. Stop rebuking poverty. Start saying, Lord, you're here. How many of you know why Jesus was born in a manger, in a stinky old manger? To show that he can bring life even in the worst of places. God didn't birth him in a palace. He was born in a manger, in a cave, in a dunghill where ants and flies were flying. Why was the king of kings born in a manger? And guess what? We're being born in some nasty, ugly places because he wants you to know that you can bring light in the worst of places. And when you shift your attitude about where you're at, you're going to begin to see things change. By the way, things get worse, actually, before they get better because the devil starts fighting you. First, he wants to elevate your life. The second thing he wants to elevate is your influence. Everyone say influence. God wants to bring a, a greater influence in your life. How does he do that? First of all, you walk through things in life that are difficult because he's building a testimony to give you influence. Everyone say influence. My influence is only to the degree that my testimony is, and my testimony is only to the degree that I'm willing to say yes to what he's bringing me through because it's your testimony that brings influence and life and courage and faith in other people. You didn't walk through all this crap for nothing. You're walking through it because God's building a testimony to enlarge your testimony and influence to people that have no hope. That's why there's always hope. And the last thing is this. God wants to elevate your sense of expectation. I have great expectancy. I believe this church is going to be packed out. I believe there's be people going to be standing remotely to come to New Open Heavens Church. Well, Pastor Ray, that's a long shot. I'm expecting it. You know why? Because the earth, the people, Jesus said it. It's not Ray. I believe all churches, churches that hunger for his presence, they're not coming for a person. They're not coming for preaching. They're, they're going to hunger. They're going to come because of his presence. It's the presence. How many of you want the presence? See, divine encounter, divine encounter is going to create some trouble. It's going to create some stirring. But God's going to take us to new levels. So what is it, what's it going to do? There's God, we need to embrace divine interruption. Lord, interrupt my plans. Interrupt what you want to do. I'm not just setting goals without you, Lord, coming. Number two, it might offend my mind, but the reason why he offends your mind is to touch your heart and to enlarge your faith. So, Lord, offend my mind. And thirdly, God's going to elevate. He's going to elevate my life. He's going to elevate my influence. And then he's going to elevate my expectation. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? I see some of you going to sleep. Lord, raise them up right now in Jesus' name. Praise God. Now, next week, man, you, don't, you want to hang in here because we're going to go some places what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is intended to do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to set you on fire. To elevate, to lift you up. To bring your level of relationship, your marriage, your children to a higher level. But you're going to start speaking. You're going to start thinking. You're going to have a healthy mind. I got a healthy mind. I got a healthy heart. I'm speaking life. My Pastor Ray, you're kind of excited today. No, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. 
I remember when I was about 10, 11, 12 years old, my mother went to a prayer meeting. Dr. Peter Morrow from Australia was there. We were having this this, uh, family camp meeting at our church, and during the middle of the week, he says, I want all the intercessors that this woman is named by her. Her name is Grandma Ray, R-A-E. I want everyone to go. Only eight or nine women of a church of about a thousand people showed up, intercessors showed up to this meeting. Dr. Peter Morrow was in this room. My mother brought me with, I was about 10, 11, 12, <clears throat> sitting in this prayer meeting in a living room. <clears throat> First time I ever encountered the presence of God, I s- sat there. And the presence of God just began to fill this room. They weren't lifting their voice as much. They were just in silence before the Lord in the presence of God the first time I'd ever in my life as a young kid experienced that. Then I experienced the baptism when I was baptized at a youth camp. When the presence of God hit me, I knew something was on me. There was something on me I couldn't shake. My dad actually thought that I just wanted to go to church to be with my friends. That wasn't it. I really wanted God at 11 years old, 12 years old somewhere in there. I can't remember the exact age, but I remember being touched by his presence. Folks, God wants us to be touched by his presence. Do you want that? Bow your heads, would you? Father, we just pray for holy fire. We pray for the Holy Spirit, Lord, to ignite and help us, Lord, to understand that we were born for a purpose. And that, Lord, you've called us to consecrate. Lord, we're standing on holy ground, and, Lord, we're dedicated as vessels of honor. If any man, Lord, you said will be a vessel of honor, let him cleanse himself. There are vessels in my house, vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. If any man will cleanse himself, he will be a vessel of honor, a vessel of his presence. Father, this morning, Lord, we just ask you to touch our hearts, purify, so that you can be glorified in our lives. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to touch us, empower us. While every head is bowed, baby, this morning, you may say, Pastor Ray, my fire has gone out, and I need a touch of that fire in my life again. If that's you, raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you right now. I need holy fire in my life. I need the power of his presence to permeate every area of my life where I'm transformed by the uniqueness of what he wants to say. Interrupt, offend. Lord, elevate my life to a new level of faith and expectancy, Lord, of influence. Lord, because you want to make your name great in all the earth. Right now, you see all these hands. There's so many. Let's all stand to our feet. Just keep your hands elevated. I'm lifting my hands too because I want more fire. I need more of him, Lord, just more of you, Lord, this morning. We ask you, Father, to open the heavens as you have, Lord, and pour out your spirit upon us in a very unique way upon our lives, Lord, letting our lives and our lives be as a light in a city set on a hill. Father, there's people around us, Lord, that have have, have embraced mixture and compromise, and Lord, right now, Lord, you've called us, Lord, to be a witness. Lord, to be lights in dark places. Lord, even the battles we're walking through right now, Lord, were not intended to destroy us. But Lord, intended, Lord, to open our eyes to see how your glory can work even when we're facing red seas and crossing, defeating giants, destroying the enemy. Lord, 
I pray right now for a prophetic understanding of who we are in Christ. Oh, God, that we're not just normal people. We're not just people abiding, waiting for the rapture. Lord, we're people here executing. And, Lord, recognizing our time, our time of visitation even now. Oh, God, that we would not miss our day of visitation. Oh, God, speak to us. Stir us, Lord. Jesus, we call upon you this morning. We call upon you, Lord. Let us not be the Zechariah who had to know everything. Help us, Lord, to release control of the things that we need to know and to put our trust in you. Lord, we lay it down before you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say this. I am rocked today. God has rocked my world. God has rocked me.